And I'm looking in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 7 to 18, and uh, Paul's encouragement to the church in Corinth. And we're going to look into what he says here in this text, and then also why he is encouraging and what the encouragement is to us. And uh, so you can turn there or tap there on your phone. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in front of you. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 18. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. And therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We just pray that by your Holy Spirit we would gain the understanding that you desire for us. Uh, Each one of us here today comes to your word uh, in a different way place, in a different state, a different uh, situation in life, in our faith in you, in what we're going through, Lord. But your word is powerful and effective, and it is meant to transform us and to teach us about your character. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would know as your people what you would have us know this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So Paul is writing this in 2 Corinthians, it's his second letter that we have to the people in Corinth, uh, 2 Corinthians, and he's writing it to the church there. And uh, you're kind of maybe wondering why he's writing about all these things that are going on in his life and the death that he's facing and the affliction and everything else, but he's writing it because uh, the Corinthians are kind of embarrassed for Paul. This is the reality, is that they're sort of embarrassed because he says, Paul goes around saying his ministry is a glorious ministry. It's a ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a ministry that shows the world the glory of God. But then they look at him and they think that Paul doesn't look very impressive, right? He admits multiple times that he's not a trained speaker. He says that he comes to cities in weakness, He admits that the crowds think that much of what he talks about is foolishness. And they throw rocks at him, and they throw him in prison. And so people are kind of embarrassed because, like, Paul, you're you're talking about this great, glorious God, this amazing, brilliant God, and this beautiful gospel, but your life doesn't seem to reflect the message that you are teaching. It doesn't seem to line up. It doesn't seem like the gospel is working in your own life, let alone why the gospel would work in mine. What, what is glorious about God in your life, Paul? And so people are a little bit embarrassed for Paul. And Christians in Corinth were maybe a little bit embarrassed about the gospel and about the message, right? They're, they're embarrassed because we're supposed to be proclaiming that we have this great God and this amazing gospel, this good news, and yet our life is affliction and weakness. And do you ever feel that way about your life and the gospel you share? 
Right? Like maybe you suffer from anxiety or depression, or maybe your marriage is in a really rough patch right now, just a season that is not all that joyful. And you know that, you know that they know, your friends know that that's what's going on, or, or your kids are just out of control, and you can't hide that because they're just out of control, right? And, and you don't have a handle on being the perfect parent, or you have a close friend at work, you know, and you and her are, are Christians, and you've been witnessing to people at work, and then she, she gets cancer, or he gets cancer, and, and you know that people are saying, well, where's your God now? Right? Or even on a bigger scale, maybe it's like a mass shooting in a church, like, that just happened. And people start to have those little snide remarks. Well, those Christians in church, where was their God when they were getting shot up by a crazy person? And so we get into this situation where perhaps even ministry plans here at Lakeside don't turn out the way we expected, and they make us wonder whether God is really at work. What, where is the glory in our life? Where is the brilliance of God? Where is the, the glory in the gospel that we're sharing? in the struggles that we have, in the sickness that we have, in our weakness. Where's the glory in the abuse and the death even of God's people? Where's glory in weakness in ministry? How does any of that show that God is glorious? And it can sometimes look like the gospel isn't working in the world and in our own lives. And so what happens is we're tempted as Christians, and I think this is what Paul wants to battle against, is that we are tempted as believers to try to outwardly hide the failure so that we can make God look better while inwardly we're losing heart. And so outwardly we are trying to sanitize our life and polish our life up so that our gospel and our God looks great because of all the wonderful things that are happening in our life, but inwardly we're losing heart because we're failing. In first century Corinth, this big metropolitan port city, as we've talked about before, is a lot like 21st century America. It's multicultural, it's multi-religious, it's irreligious, it's pagan, you name it. Big multicultural city, port city. Anything goes. And in any big city like that, it's a place where everyone is vying for attention and everybody's vying for customers and everybody's vying for followers. It's about how good you look. Everybody is trying to sell something. Now, Corinth didn't have Facebook, but if Corinth had Facebook, every hashtag would be hashtag blessed, right? With a picture of happy families and pictures of clean homes and new cars and great vacations. And everybody would have those pictures on their Facebook page to say, look at how great my God is or look at how great my temple is. Look at how great my good news is. You want what I have. And the church can easily get caught up in that. Right? The church can get caught up in that when it comes to the gospel. Weakness and suffering and failure do not attract anybody. Weakness and suffering and failure don't look good. And we want the world to see how good God is and how great God is. And so we cover up weakness and we cover up suffering and we cover up failure in our lives. We just Photoshop those things out. And so we tell good news stories and we share testimonies that always have a happy ending. And when we count the impact of our church ministries, we always count as many possible people as we can without outright lying about how many people were there, right? Because we want everything to be bigger and better and greater. And we don't want to talk about struggles and failures because we want the gospel to look good and we want God to look good. But here's the thing. When we Facebook filter out our lives and our failures and our weakness, it actually makes it worse. Because we start to think that everyone else is sailing along in life in victory in the gospel and we're the only ones that are limping. We're the only ones that are struggling. And so when we polish our lives or we try to oversell the gospel and oversell God with success, 
then really people don't see what's really going on and where God's greatness truly shines. And we start to think, I'm the only one that's suffering. Apparently the gospel is working as it's supposed to in everybody else's life, but it's not working in mine. And so then we lose heart and we lose courage. But notice here in our text here that Paul does not cover up his weakness or his suffering or his failure. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he starts out by saying, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. This is Paul writing in a, earlier in the letter, and he says, We despaired even of life. He says, Paul, Paul starts out saying, We want you to know how badly we were treated and how we suffered. And you think, why, Paul? Why would you want to tell us this? Right? When you're on this great gospel campaign, you know, you're like Billy Graham touring the country. Why would you tell us how poorly you were received and how you were afflicted? Why not hide those things and make your message sound better? Paul says, because we know that you're going to encounter them too. We know you're going to encounter these same sufferings and these same trials and you have the same weakness and they're the very reasons why we don't lose heart. He starts out in our chapter 4.1, he says, we don't lose heart. And in chapter 4, he's telling us why he doesn't lose heart, why he doesn't lose courage and give up, why he's not ashamed of his suffering and his weakness, even as an apostle, even as a minister of God's gospel. Paul is totally open about all of this. Why does he do that? And he explains it here. Because our weakness and our suffering and our failure give glory to God. He starts out in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure. What is the treasure? You'd have to go back to verse 6. He ends verse 6 saying, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's the treasure that we have. We have this treasure of the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And he says, we have this treasure about knowing God, the God who can bring spiritually dead people to life. And you think, what kind of people does God use to bring the spiritually dead people to life? They must be powerful people. They must be incredible people to have that power. And Paul says, no, we have this treasure in earthen vessels or in jars of clay. And that's where the treasure of the gospel and the knowledge of God is found. It's found in clay jars. And now you understand here, and this is what we have to get when we're reading this in the first century, especially in Halliburton with all the kind of art studios that we have around, Clay jars were not artworks, okay? They were not family heirlooms. They were not things that you went to on a studio tour and paid $150 for dirt, okay? Nicely glazed dirt, right? Okay, clay pots or earthen vessels in Paul's day and even in many developing parts of the world today were basically the equivalent of Tupperware, okay? These were like plastic bags, they were often used once and then they were discarded, right? There were, you certainly didn't repair them. If you needed one, you just grabbed a new one. There were people on street corners spinning out new clay jars all the time. They were just, they were disposable and they often chipped and cracked. They, they were not works of art, okay? And so why would, why would God do that? Why would God put treasure of the gospel in a, in a plastic bag? Why would he do that? And Paul goes on, he says, so that, the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And so you see, see what Paul is trying to say here. He's saying, so I got a plastic bag over here. So Paul's saying, we have this treasure in plastic bags, right? And if you were to hold up this plastic bag and, and you're sitting out there and you're thinking, is that a Foodland bag? Man, those are great. If Paul's giving out Foodland bags, I'm going to be first in line. Right? That's what you're thinking. But I know some of you are also thinking that there's something in that bag. 
it looks like a nice French wine. Now, if, there's, if Paul's giving out nice French wine, I would really be first in line to get that, right? And so the idea here is that there's a plastic bag, there's this, there's this thing that gets ripped and torn, there's this earthen vessel that carries something. The plastic bag is not what you're going to line up for. But you might line up, you know, depending on the wine that I have in here, you might line up for that. There's a treasure inside the earthen vessel. There's a treasure inside the plastic bag. And that it's not the plastic bag that God wants people to see. It's the treasure inside. It's the gospel that we carry. It's the power of God. And so Paul is contrasting the treasure of knowing God in comparison to the insignificance, quite honestly, of the people who carry that treasure. People don't look at Paul and say, you are so great. You know, Paul, you are so amazing. You are so powerful. You are so polished. Then, you know, I want to follow you. No, he says he's a jar of clay. He's just an ordinary, everyday, disposable bucket or bag. And the only great thing about Paul and his message is not his power, but the power of God. Now, here's what can happen is if I had this bottle of wine, but I had the bottle of wine in a Louis Vuitton bag, then some of you would be tempted to say, the wine, I can take it or leave it. But the Louis Vuitton bag, now that's what I want. Do you see the picture that Paul is painting? He's saying, we don't need the treasure in Louis Vuitton bags. We don't need the treasure in powerful, polished, impressive people. The treasure is the impressive thing. The gospel of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the promise that God has for people is the treasure. And we don't need to dress it up in something expensive on the outside. We don't have to make it more of a treasure than it is because it is the treasure. And so there shouldn't be a competition between the treasure and the bag, right, of the power of God and the clay pot that carries it. So Paul boasts in his weakness, right? He doesn't need to look better. And we sometimes think in the church that if we just had speakers who were funnier or if we just had people that were taller and better looking than me, you know, if we just had... You know, something that was more polished. If we had like more technology or if we had a better marketing campaign, then our message would have more power. And Paul is speaking here saying, no, the treasure is in earthen vessels, clay pots. And he boasts in his weakness because the power doesn't come from him. It comes from God. And we worry that in our weakness, it means that God can't use us. But Paul goes on to describe the contrast of earthen vessels to the power of God. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Those are his things. What is it for you? What is it for you that makes you worry that God can't use you because you are just an earthen vessel? Is it illness? Is it doubts? Is it a battle with temptation? Is it those crazy kids? Is it a dysfunctional marriage? Is it just fear? Right? All those things can make us think we are weak, we are suffering, we are broken. God can't use what's weak and suffering and broken. God can't use us. But the message that Paul has here is that Paul uses, that God uses people like that so that they don't trust in their own power, but they trust in God. If you're feeling like a very ordinary plastic bag today, like an earthen vessel, like just that cheap Tupperware that you're meant to throw out, then that's right where God wants you because those are the types of people that God uses. That's who Paul was. 
2 Corinthians 1.9, Paul says, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. The point of the treasure in the clay vessel is that we will trust in God. In our suffering and our weakness, God teaches us to rely on Him. It's when we're limping that we learn to lean on God. It's not when you're impressive and strong that God can use you. When we are impressive and strong and polished, that's exactly when God can't use us. He needs us to be clay vessels so that the treasure within can shine through. Secondly, our suffering is the means by which the knowledge of God is shared. He says, always carry a, we always carry about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be made manifested in our body or it can be shown, it can be revealed in our body. Paul says, we carry about these afflictions in our jars of clay so that the supernatural life and power of Jesus is visible so that people can see it. And then Paul repeats that thought again so you don't miss it. He says in 11, he says, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. He just repeated himself there, if you, if you didn't get it. And then, in case we still don't understand, in verse 12, he, he, he connects the dots for it. He says, So death works in us, but life in you. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about in the death, in the suffering, in the weakness, in the affliction that's taking place in us, it's bringing about life in you. This is about evangelism. This is about the message of the glory of God being transferred from one believer to an unbeliever and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth. There's a direct connection between our suffering and our affliction and our weakness and the power of God made visible in that weakness. To you... The connection is to people, to other people, receiving the life that we have. So death works in us, but it translates to life in others. And so because of the testimony of God's power and our weakness, God is doing something in others that has a real outcome. Our dying and our suffering and our weakness as we share it, actually, the outcome is life. And isn't that encouraging? That's, that's why Paul says we do not lose heart. When we are afflicted, when we appear weak, when we are imprisoned or stoned, when Christians are persecuted, when my life looks weak, God's power can show through. And from that revelation of God's power, people can be saved. I can bring life into other people who are dying spiritually. I can bring light into darkness. I can bring truth into lies. I can bring hope into despair through my weakness. God uses jars of clay to carry the message of life to people. How does it work? How does it happen? Verses 9 and 10, or sorry, 10 and 11, Paul says that we carry about this death of Jesus and we're delivered over to the death of Jesus. In other words, we're following in the walk of Jesus to the cross. We're going the way of the cross. Paul's way was the way of the cross. It was the way of suffering. It was the way of abuse. It was the way of weakness. But as we go the way of the cross, it's not an easy way. It's not an easy way to go, right? We would rather go the way of polished and powerful and successful, But if we choose to go the way of the cross, if we choose to walk like Jesus in our suffering and follow him in death, walk the way that Paul is mocked for, it leads us into places that we can bring life to. Because as you walk that way, even as Gord said before we prayed that we are comfort those with the comfort that we've received from God, as we go those ways that need comforting, as we go into those areas of suffering, as we go into those areas of failure, as we go into those areas of weakness... We encounter people that need the strength and the hope and the glory of God. And so by walking that way, we find the people there that need the treasure that we're carrying. 
And there's easier ways to live. There's easier places to go. There's easier things to do than that sort of costly service. There's easier things to do than minister to the broken. The only explanation for people who walk that way on purpose is that Jesus is alive in them. Paul says, having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. And we also believe, and therefore we also speak. You see the, the connection Paul is making. He says, what is bringing, what's death in us is life in you. And because we believe and have faith, we speak. We are speaking about the treasure that we carry. This is about evangelism. This is about people coming to know God. He says, because we have this spirit of faith, because we believe we speak, and in the midst of our suffering, and in the midst of our weakness, and in the midst of our failure, we go the way of the cross in these areas, but we speak in that weakness, and we speak in that suffering. We don't try to cover it up. We don't try to hide it. We join people in it, and we speak into it. We speak the words of life and hope so that others can have the same knowledge of the light of God that is found in Jesus Christ. What does Paul believe and speak? Just keep reading knowing that he who raised Lord, the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. This is what he's speaking. Because we believe, we speak. What do we believe and speak? We believe and speak the promise of God that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us and Jesus will, and as we are present with Jesus, you will be present with us. It's the gospel. That's what he's saying. If you know that God has promised to rescue everyone who puts their faith in Jesus and in faith in his finished work on the cross, then you speak that in your weakness and in your suffering and in your failure and in the midst of all of that, in the earthiness, in the earthen vessel of life, you speak that in the midst of all of that. And Paul's hope is that he will be raised and not only will he be raised, but that others will be present with him in his resurrection because he believed and because he spoke out of his weakness. Right? I love it the way he just sort of subtly words that there. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Paul's assuming people are going to hear his message and believe and so that when he is standing resurrected before Jesus, he's going to look around and be presented with all the people that heard the message in his suffering and in his weakness. They may have mocked him. They may have stoned him at one point. They may have imprisoned him at one point. They might have been the guard outside his cell. But he trusts that God is using his suffering and his weakness of his life to bring those people to present them with him before Jesus. Isn't that an amazing picture? That in our weakness, in our suffering, if we don't waste it, but if we open our lives up to it, if we don't Photoshop it over, if we don't try to hide it, but we actually invite people into that and show the treasure of God in our weakness, that when we stand before Jesus, they will be present with us. That's how Paul words it there. It's incredible how he does that. So Paul says, don't lose heart. Christian suffering isn't wasted. It's being redeemed and it's being put to use for the benefit of others so that they can hear about God's grace and see the life of Christ in us. He says it this way in verse 15 as you just keep reading. He says, for all things are for your sakes so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. This is all about evangelism. This is all about the message of the good news of God going forth. And it all starts with clay vessels, with earthen vessels, clay pots. All of this glory of God going forth, all of these people being presented to Jesus, all of this thanks abounding to the glory of God, it starts in weakness. It starts in suffering. It starts in just ordinary plastic bags where the treasure is found. Paul says, I don't enjoy being mocked. I don't seek out floggings. I don't desire to be imprisoned or sick or attacked by wild animals or shipwrecked. 
But when I am standing before Jesus and you are there with me, rescued from death, do you think I'm going to care about a beating that I took back in Jerusalem once? Do you think I'm going to care about an illness that overtook me when I was shipwrecked? Do you think I'm going to care about any of that when I am standing before Jesus with the people that I joined in my weakness and heard my message? Not even a little bit. And so when we think the gospel isn't working because our lives look weak, or we think that God doesn't look great in us because we are weak and we are suffering, is it really not working? Is God's glory really diminished in those things? Paul says no. God's glory is not diminished in those things. That's the type of people God uses. That's where God's power and glory can shine. God puts his treasure in jars of clay on purpose so that the cracks give people a chance to see the glory inside. God uses us as we go the way of the cross and the way of suffering into hard places where people need to hear the good news that we carry. This should give us reason to take heart. God can't use powerful, polished, perfect people. Those kinds of people rely on themselves. God uses ordinary clay pots like us who have to rely on the power of God so that then they can speak and share the good news of the treasure they carry. And all of it is nothing all the, all the suffering, all the weakness, all the failure, all the discouragement, all of that will mean nothing in that future day when we stand before Jesus with those that encountered God through us and through our testimony. So Paul summarizes the whole thing this way, last few verses. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So God does not want me, he does not want you to waste your suffering or your weakness. To suffer affliction and to live in weakness is, and not use it for God's glory, that would be a true shame. I can, I can imagine some regret at the end of my own life where I see situations in my weakness and my failure and my suffering when I wasted it because I tried to hide it and I tried to cover it up and I tried to come across better than I was. And by trying to polish it and hide it, I actually wasted it because I lost the opportunity for God to shine in my weakness. And Paul's saying just the opposite. If we don't waste our suffering, God will redeem it. If we take our suffering and our weakness and we invite people into it and we walk the way of Jesus and the way of the cross into weakness and into suffering, God will not waste your suffering. God will not waste your affliction. God will use it for his glory. God will redeem it for his joy and our joy, especially when we see those that we met and those that we shared the knowledge of God with along the way. So think of all of what you've gone through, all the hurt and the suffering, what the cost you have, what has cost you the most, what people maybe have cost you the most. But on the day of resurrection, think of the people that could be there with you. The crowds of people that grace has reached out, people that have been rescued and restored to the glorify God forever. Do you think on that day there's going to be even a flicker of regret? That we invited them into our weakness, that we showed them our messy house, that our Kids weren't perfect, our marriage had troubles, that, that, that we felt abandoned at times because of illness, but that God was working in all of those things in our life, and we shared that with people and showed them the glory of God in all everything, all of our weakness. 
So Paul says, embrace whatever affliction God has brought into your life. Go the way of the cross with Jesus and speak the good news of hope that's the treasure that you carry. And in that way, God will be glorified and many will be saved. You won't regret it. You won't look good, but God will look good. And you won't regret it. God uses ordinary, chipped, broken jars of clay to share his treasure with the world. And we are all those earthen vessels. We are all just ordinary earthen vessels. But the treasure we carry has got to get out. Let's not make us look good. Let's let God look good in our lives. Let's pray.